They just don't get us. That's what we hear a lot from people in agriculture when they talk about those at the front lines of the engagement with consumers. But what happens if a farmer and someone who's worked in agriculture gets into the restaurant business? Well, that's what we're here to find out today. My name is Mike Von Massow, and this is the Food Focus Podcast. Jen Christie uh, has worked for years in agriculture, has been an advocate for equality and for mentoring women, but has also made a positive contribution and is active in the discussion about agriculture. In this episode, we talk about her experience as a restaurateur, how being from an ag background has shaped her her thinking as she interacts with customers and what they do differently uh, and what some of the challenges are. I think you'll find the conversation worthwhile. Well, Jen, it's great. I really enjoyed our conversation on bringing women into agriculture and and fostering and, and recognizing the immense pool of talent. But I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, not only uh, not only as a successful woman in agriculture, we talked about those being unicorns, but you're also a little bit strange. Not maybe strange isn't the right. A little bit unique in that you've sort of experienced almost the totality of the food value chain. You've uh, you grew up on a farm. You studied agriculture, and now you are the co-owner of a restaurant, which is the other end of the food chain. You came into this industry. I think your partner was is a, a restaurant veteran, but you came into it sort of relatively green. What yes. surprised you about the restaurant industry? Yes, I had never, uh, never really considered owning a restaurant. And beyond, you know, waitressing in a couple when I was in high school, that was about the extent of my my knowledge of of the industry. Uh, except for maybe, you know, you know, you you read a little bit about it, and so I, I certainly was aware that owning a restaurant is not a great way to get rich quick (laughs) Um, and I had actually the opportunity to participate in an event a couple years ago that Chatelaine put on and uh, it was called the big dish and and it actually dove into the restaurant industry a little bit so all of my knowledge about the industry pretty much came from that event and you know some of its challenges and and what the realities are but but certainly starting this restaurant with my fiance there 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 has been a lot of things that uh, I've opened my eyes to. And um, I guess one of the biggest things is how similar it is to the agriculture industry uh, writ large. Um, so I'm sure everyone is, has heard now, right? There's a, a really big talent shortage in hospitality. Um, so the labor the labor crunch is, is really hitting the industry hard. Um, but also, I knew it was seasonal. I didn't realize how unpredictable it can be in that seasonality. And the only thing I can equate it to is that in some ways, you know, the the traffic in the restaurant is like the it follows the weather. And so it seems like on nice sunny days, we're busier than we are on cloudy rainy days. But other than that, like it's so hard to to plan like, you know, why why are we really busy one Wednesday night and, and not the next? Like it's very unpredictable that way. The margins are also uh, quite co- comparable <laughs> to agriculture yeah. <laughs> in that there aren't any. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very, uh, very low profitability. And 
and you know whether whether there's bums in the seats or not you have costs so that is that has taken some getting used to um the other thing that was really actually surprising to me and uh, i shared a little bit about it um early in the pandemic was is just um, alcohol and liquor pricing. And so the government has changed this uh, in the last year, finally. But uh, going into this, I had no idea that uh, restaurants actually were paying more for, for liquor and beer in Ontario than the general public. So I, I never thought a lot about what you what I paid for drinks in restaurants. You know, you go out for a good time and you just uh, you, you order some drinks and you pay the bill. But um, it wasn't until opening this that I, I realized that. And yeah, so during the pandemic, uh, I mean, that was a really big deal because the other part of the of the profitability piece is most restaurants the the only profits they make is on alcohol sales. So in the pandemic, when everyone uh, had to go had to shut down their indoor dining and go to takeout only, I don't know how most restaurants stayed in business because when you remove that, you know, people coming in and sitting down and having a drink and that margin that you made on the alcohol sales, you really take away most or all of the profit that was in the business. So, so why does alcohol, you know, why does a $15 bottle of wine cost $45 or $50 in a restaurant? It's because that's really the only profit that the restaurant makes. So, the government did change that and we now get a, a bit of a discount on liquor pricing that happened in the last year, probably or partially due to lobbying during COVID. But but that was very eye-opening to me. <laughs> yeah, and and the ability to sell a bottle of wine or a bottle of beer with takeout only came as a result of, of COVID and was another sort of lobbying effort to to attempt to generate some revenue during during covid because if i'm not mistaken you had the good fortune to open very very not much before covid started is that correct so we actually opened in april 2020 so about oh, so you a opened month after covid after covid started <laughs> yes yeah. so yeah, which would we have were- been an interesting challenge in all of its own yeah. So in some, I mean, my context for this business is strictly since <laughs> April 2020. So, I mean, a lot of what people knew and did before that uh, went out the window. So, so yes, we we opened uh, as with takeout only and we purchased what we needed in the restaurant as we were allowed to do things. So, you know, when the government said, oh, you can have a patio now, we like rushed out and got um, patio tables. Luckily, we have a patio. So that wasn't too hard for us to add. But yeah, it meant in some ways, I think it was good because it meant that people when we opened, we were the only restaurant in Paisley that was open. And so uh, people, we were the only game in town. So, and people were, we had been here for about six months and we were, I'm from here. So people knew us and had been kind of following our story and knew what we were planning. We curled and every week at the curling club, we gave people an update on what was going on. And so we had a following kind of, you know, interested in in anticipating our opening, which which was great because it it meant that we had, you know, support and strong support from the get-go. But I think because it was only takeout, it also meant that more people tried our food than maybe otherwise would have if it had been, you know, a a sit-down, if we'd opened with sit-down dining um, from the get-go. 
So that in some ways worked for us. And it, we had no staff until the summer. So the first couple of months, it was just Chris and I. And, and so that kept our overhead quite low. So our first year, we, we did well. Um, but last year was a, a slog. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so the, the up and down of, you know, open, closed, open, closed was, was not fun was taxing. I imagine emotionally taxing too. It's interesting that you talk about sort of being embedded in your community. And because one of the things that I've argued uh, about restaurants and COVID is that the restaurants that, that maybe didn't thrive, but did better during COVID than others were the ones that were embedded in a community, whether, you know, what, not necessarily just a small town like Paisley, but I mean, you'll remember from your Guelph days, places like the Woolly and and those places where where people are invested in the place and they care about it and they know who's there. And, you know, nobody was dying to go back to the chain restaurant, but many mm-hmm. of us were dying to go back to our favorite restaurant and and it mattered to us. And we went back to them you know, in an effort to keep them going, in an effort to to keep friends and comfort uh, available. So I, th- I think that, that that was an advantage for you as well throughout COVID. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think I didn't really appreciate the, as much I loved, I've always loved dining out and, you know, think I'm a foodie and, and <laughs> living in, you know, a couple of the smaller cities in Ontario, spent a lot of time going out to restaurants, but never really appreciated like what that role or what, you know, the role restaurants play in, in, in our lives and, and how often they are a bit of a third place in, in communities. And, and we, we definitely saw that, uh, through, um, through, uh, certainly the first year, but, um, in, in 2021 as well, like as, real estate was going crazy up here and you know people new people were coming to the area there was it was interesting how we tended to kind of see these people and be you know one of their touch points with the community because they would you know look at a piece of property and then come in and have a coffee or a bite to eat and then you know they'd be talking about what they saw and um so i had a lot of conversations with people about the community and the surrounding area in some ways trying to you know sell people on like yes this is a place you want to be but absolutely there especially i think when you've you've got these like when you when it's a, a smaller you know owner operated establishment where you do know the people that are running the place and the people who work there and they're important parts of our community and uh, like all small businesses in our communities you know if if they're not supported they can't they won't continue to be there and so it's uh I think a, a really important part of community to have restaurants. Yeah, we take them for granted and then miss them when they're gone. Mm-hmm. So you, you you highlighted that you think of yourself as a foodie, and we talked uh, last episode a little bit about you know you you grew up on a farm, you're an Aggie, you studied agriculture. D- does your ag background do you think affect what you serve and how you talk about food to your customers? 
I think it does to some extent. I mean, we don't care about labels here. We are a Feast On certified restaurant because it was really important to both of us that we uh, source locally when we can and that we we look for marketing opportunities and and um, being you know the local food restaurant in our area was something that we want to be known for, and so that program exists. But you know, in that's about as far as we go when it comes to kind of you know branding our food with any sort of label. For for us, it's really more important that we know the people who are growing the food, and if possible, we try and source as close to to us as as we can. But we also you know recognize that there's a business to run, and uh, one thing I I know working. <laughs> as farmers working with with chefs can be challenging and on the flip side you know they're both very busy busy um, careers yeah. and so the timing to be able to always like get what you need when you need it and manage the unpredictability of both businesses can make that like direct sourcing also kind of challenging at times so so we've developed some uh, we buy direct most of our meat from either my family's farm a couple of our neighbors and friends in the industry a couple of my fellow Aggies we buy from. Uh-huh. And I mean, the quality and the taste of that product is bar none the best. And it doesn't matter whether it's grass, like quality, taste, and knowing the people that raise it and trusting that, you know, they're doing the right things to raise a great product. We see that in the taste and the flavor of the product. And so we're satisfied there. But we also we also purchase from a food service because they also, you know, they, they can also source um, Ontario. And... Coming from the industry, I know some of those farms too, right? So, you know, I trust that um, some of the the larger farms that, you know, are, are growing our potatoes and carrots from Holland Marsh, like, you know, I've, I've been on those farms too uh, when I worked at John Deere. And so I know where that product is coming from too. And sometimes like, it's just, it's easier to be able to buy it in, in a box <laughs> that gets delivered to my door than having to drive around to yep. a, a bunch of farms to get it. And so trying to balance that, but, you know, local first is, is, is most important to us and, and the rest we're, we're not really concerned with. And for the most part, I think our customers aren't either, which is interesting. Like I don't, we don't get asked if, you know, for specific labeled things. And so I think that works. Yeah, it's interesting. And I don't want to put food, it's our food. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Jen. But to me, maybe that foundation, you that history you have in agriculture makes it easier for you to do the no label approach because you know where it's coming from and you know that it's good and you don't need to differentiate it artificially because you have faith in the system. And maybe you're lucky to a degree that at least the core of your customers are local and also understand that from sort of a, an ag community. But it's interesting to me that you said we're a no label restaurant, but the truth is you are selling stuff that you have confidence in because you have confidence in how food is produced. And, you know, as I always say, Canadian agriculture has a profoundly good story to tell. And sometimes that gets masked in some of these labels. So, so maybe that history is about, having faith and confidence in what's produced and and you don't need to put a fancy label on it. Yeah, I have been in the restaurant 
less in the last year because I was also working. So it'll be yeah. interesting now that I'm back here um, full time and and having more of these conversations again. But um, the first summer we were open, we had a pizza that had beef on it and it was a really, really great pizza. And a couple, they were tourists and they ate it and they loved it. And they were asking me questions about it afterwards. And it was funny to me because they were, you know, they were asking questions about like, oh, well, is it Angus beef? And like, they're even that, right? Like this beef is so good. It must be this because this is what yeah. we've been told. And I said, oh no, it's actually from my my family's farm. It's a Holstein. And they, you know, they don't even, well, oh, what's that? And I'm like, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> not actually a beef cow, um, yeah. but it makes them phenomenal beef. <laughs> yeah. So it, and it's funny because we also get Angus beef from Gilcrest that now own Beefway. And so we have Angus and we have Holstein. And uh, yeah, it, <laughs> it was very clear that, you know, they've read things and, you know, they have this information that they've gleaned from the internet and yeah. what they've been told about, you know, what the best beef is. And here, you know, we served them a product that was like, actually, this is a dairy cow that we raised on our farm. And yeah. and at that point in time, you know, we could say that we actually like probably bedded up its pen and knew who it was. And yeah. Chris, this whole thing was we lived with my parents for about a month before we moved into the or a couple months before we moved in here. And yeah. so he spent some time in the far, um, in the barn, which was new to him. So yeah. So he really liked to tell people, I actually knew that cow. <laughs> yeah, and it, and you know, to to me, it's it's interesting that that to a significant degree, restaurants are the front line of food education or of ag education. You know, we have a restaurants play a disproportionate role in helping people understand where their food comes from because we have that opportunity to have a direct conversation with that consumer and you can say well, this is where that and they can ask whereas that doesn't happen in the grocery store a grocery stores have way more choice and there's no one there to tell you about it so it's interesting to hear you talk about it that way and that conversation you know this is where this beef came from it's we can raise we can have extremely tasty products without any sort of out of the mainstream production practices. Yeah, definitely. And I I think coming into this, I had bought into that idea too, that it had like only restaurants that were real, like, you know, doing those really local farm to table, like that it was that or it was mainstream. And I've been proven wrong i think that you can you can do and i don't want to say what we do is mains but you can provide a consistently good product with local ingredients still tell the story and people will be interested in that and they'll appreciate that but unless you do that i actually don't know that people make all those connections still like i was thinking about you know like how how does this change how i talk about food with people and and thinking about it from the other side like is you're saying like you know this is for many people this in the grocery store they're like that's what they know about food and yeah. i don't think even still people connect it back to the the farm and and to the you know the fields and the pastures that they drive by when they're coming from Southampton you know to Paisley like i i don't know that people really make that connection unless you make it clear to them so and that's something now that i'm here full time i i want to do 
much more of. And we're hoping to do a big dinner in Paisley on Food Day Canada. And part of that will be, you know, highlighting some of the farmers we work with and and trying to make that connection more so for people and, and helping people recognize that, you know, the, the people in our communities are the same people that are raising this food that tastes so delicious that you're enjoying here. And I think you made a you made a really good point there because we have this sort of perception there's often a disconnect in how people think about farm farmers that you know they have this trust in farmers but they hear all about this sort of factory farm and the you know the evil big corporate farms but they are people who are walking down the street in Paisley and walking down the street in Southampton and and you're driving by and you're sitting next to them in the arena or at the soccer field and i think making that connection and helping people understand that they're just people like you who care about what you know what they do and that it's important to them and 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 those sorts of things i think those are it's not just about how it's produced but to a degree about who it's produced by mhm mhm yeah and i mean just like yeah the the realities of the industry have good and bad just like every other industry and thing we do yeah we have we are in Bruce Power's backyard so yeah. so i mean a lot of people like that's an industry that employs a lot of people there's a lot of good and bad to the energy industry and just like just like the agriculture industry it is necessary like we cannot live without it so yeah those conversations um and, and being you know a a, a smaller uh, venue we and we are here like we have the ability to have those conversations and i think that's something that people appreciate well and and from my perspective your ability to tell that story genuinely and in more detail you're not getting the pre-service conversation about where this is from you have a fundamental understanding of I mean, you could tell them which cow what you know th- those sorts of things probably makes it a relatively unique experience to come see you and mm-hmm. eat in your, eat in your restaurant now that you're there every day. So before we wrap up, is there anything I should have asked you about the restaurant that I didn't? Or any any point you'd like to make? Uh, well, I would like to tell people that it is Bonfire on Queen. <laughs> yeah, I, I was that was going to be my in last Paisley. question. Yeah. So where should they where should they come look for you in Paisley? Yep, we're across from the arena in Paisley, and um, they can find us on social media. So we do um, we change our menu seasonally, and then we do a a weekly special. And so often those weekly specials are, you know, if if we've gotten something like, you know, one of our staff brought in a. Um, rhubarb last week so we did a rhubarb crumble on special so so that's where we really get you know my my fiance chris gets really creative with the menu and and trying to we we try to make our specials such that there's no guarantee they will come back so if it sounds good make sure you order it this time so that you get it we've also diversified somewhat in that we're doing some of our own sauces and, and our own pasta as well again that was kind of a covid uh you know trying something different and and trying to add add to what we do and and so this summer we've also added a catering trailer so we're trying 
different things right now in an effort like farming to, you know, diversify the business a little bit so that we can kind of keep on top of, uh, of, of business. So we, we've had tremendous, that this is the other thing I want to say is the agriculture industry has been super supportive of us. So I have been just blown away by the number of, of farmers, either that I've never met, but follow me on Twitter or, you know, farmers that I've worked with in the past, uh, you know, the dairy farmers and, you know, or folks from my John Deere past that have, you know, made the trip to Paisley just to come and support us over the last two years. I am so grateful for that. And, and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that the agriculture industry has been so wonderful to us. So just Good. another well, testament of why it's why it's a great industry to be a part of. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm looking forward to, I'll make a commitment to be up there before the end of the summer to come up for lunch or dinner and uh, and give Bonfire on Queen uh, a try. Jen, I really appreciate you taking the time. I enjoyed our conversation. I learned a lot and uh, thanks for taking the time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Mike. I really enjoyed this. Thanks, Jen, for that interesting conversation. It's clear that the restaurant business is tough and that having a background in agriculture gives you a different perspective on some of the challenges and opportunities in running a restaurant. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a review wherever you get your podcast reviews, help others find us, and will help us to continue to grow our audience. I also want to thank Zach, who's the producer. I get to have the interesting conversations, and Zach uh, makes us sound and look good, uh, and he does the hard work. So thanks. Uh, Looking forward to the next episode. Talk to you soon.